0: Hey, welcome. If you're watching online, if you're in Palm Bay, Deland, we're very glad that uh, that you're that you're watching as well. Uh, I know a lot of you are probably watching at home because of the storm, and we respect that as well. Uh, so I will tell you, if those of you that are here, uh, this is without doubt the strongest building in the state of Florida. Uh, this building, the walls are rated to 300 miles an hour. So um, if, if in doubt, stay in this building. All right? That makes it very simple. Um, but I want to ask you this question to start how many of you have you have to raise your hands cuz this is kind of tough but have a certain fear of something that's kind of irrational maybe it's something that any you know I mean everybody has their own kind of the generic fears of you know maybe falling or maybe an elevator but you got something just Kind of a little weird. It's, I'm afraid of this. I have no reason to be afraid of this. Uh, we've all probably got something. And I'm not asking you to spill your guts now. But I'm just telling you for me, it's speed bumps on the road. <laughs> now, they don't, they don't bother me as much as those roundabouts. All right. Those things are, that's crazy. They should have kept those in Europe where they belong. But I just have this crazy fear about speed bumps. But Peggy, I'm slowly getting over it. Hey, Peggy liked it. I win. I win. I win. All right. We left off last week in Acts chapter one. If you've got your prayer journals, you can take notes in there. Uh, they're out in the lobby, uh, if you want to pick one up afterwards. Um, but we, uh, we talked about how Luke wrote the, Biography of Jesus' life. That's what we call the Gospel of Luke. And this is, this is the second volume where he talks about the beginning of the church. That's what Acts is. And it's a continuum written to the same person, Theophilus, lover of God. But he starts off, and last week we talked about how Jesus focused on the convincing proofs that he was alive. We talked about the fact that he was teaching the disciples for 40 days and didn't do it in secret. He meets with the disciples. At one point he meets with 500. There's a whole bunch of stories that play out here. And he said, now you guys stay here until the Holy Spirit comes. But this is what I want you to see. Jesus put, spent three and a half years with the disciples, three and a half years, every single day. We got, we've only got 30 parts of 30 days But they had three and a half years of miracles, of teaching, of mouth-dropping moments. They experienced all of them. And then after three and a half years, they all ran away, even at the cross, all but John. And then 40 days of intensive training. And what we're about to read is they're no closer to getting it now than when they started And the problem is, we talked about last week, we think when we go to a commencement that we're done. That's the idea, right? I have graduated. But you graduate to actually start. And that's where the disciples are today. We pick up the story in verse 6, if you'll stand out of respect for God's Word. So when they met together, the disciples asked Jesus... Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up at the sky as he was going, when, he, when suddenly two men dressed in white angels stood beside them. Men of Galilee, why do you stand there gawking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. You can be seated. All right. So what are we supposed to learn from this? First of all, don't look at the clock. So many Christians I know, and so many churches I know, and a whole lot of my pastor friends spend their entire time watching the clock. All they want to talk about is the second coming of Jesus. Listen, nobody's more excited about that than I am. However he comes back, whenever he comes back, if, if it's the end of the world, if it's the rapture, however it unfolds, I'm ready to go. How many can, can I get hands? Alright, I'm ready to go. But a whole lot of people are content to just run out the clock. And that's not what we were called to do. So the disciples, three and a half years, 24 hour a day training, 40 hours, 40 days of intensive training about the kingdom of God. And somebody says, um, is, is now the time? No, no, we're just getting started. You see, Jesus spent all this time training his people so they would go do something, and they're already looking for the buzzer to sound so they can get out of the deal. Best example I can possibly give you on this playoff weekend, and I've only walked away from one Super Bowl in my life, but I'm at a party at Greg and Sue Holgram's house, and at halftime, this was the score. Now, if you're a Falcons fan, I'm sorry. I really am. And I go home and I go to bed. My wife wakes me up and said, I think you might want to see what's going on. And, of course, the Patriots come back and win. And if you actually go and look at that, I'm not saying they weren't trying, but Atlanta's theory in the second half was more about, we're just going to run out the clock. Well, they ran it out all right. They just opted not to win the game while they were running it out. And it's sad to see Christians take that approach. It's like, well, Jesus is coming back. I'm just going to make sure I'm ready to go. Well, what about everybody else? What about the purpose? What about the reason? Why did Jesus spend all this time training these people? It was so they would not stare at the clock, but that they would go do what they'd been told to do. Back in October, I was up in... um, Richmond, Virginia. And I'm like a little kid when I travel. Um, I'll just stop on the side of the road. I mean, people, you'd think I was like six. But um, it like the, when it's talking about Jesus gawking into heaven, that's me. Every time I go to New York, it's like, they're like, don't act like a tourist. And I'm like, because <laughs> we don't have nothing like this in Troy, Missouri. You know what I'm saying? All right? This is a big deal. And so no matter how many times I go there, I'm captivated. By what's going on. But we're in Virginia and there are cotton fields. All right, we got cotton fields? Did I make that up? Oh, yes. oh, yeah. And I just stopped on the side of the road. And it was funny because people could tell, you know, here's a city boy stopping to take a picture because all the country people stopped so I could take this picture of this beautiful cotton field. Right? So many things I don't understand, but I know what Jesus said. Jesus said the fields are white unto harvest therefore pray that God would send harvesters into his field all right that's the picture that's the imagery that Jesus is showing them that it is now t- and I even asked the question when do you actually pick the cotton because it was it's already late October I don't know how this works I still don't know but fascinated by that imagery that jesus gave because when you see the cotton like that you know it's time for the harvest and you and i live in a world where we've got neighbors and friends and co-workers and people in russia that are ready for jesus we simply get the message to them but too often we're staring at the clock just hoping the clock runs out and we get to go to heaven does that sound selfish to you it should it should now, speaking of watches, let's just do our creation moment here real quick. All right, here's the parts to a pocket watch. If evolution is if evolution is true, all we need is to set those pieces on a rock and wait a few million years and they will put themselves together and become a watch. Actually, if evolution was true, they would have to make the parts first and then put them together. Do you see how ridiculous this is? All right, this is free information. I just throw this out. But let's talk about the evils, all right? John 9, 4. As long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent us. Night is coming when no one can work. Paul said this in Ephesians. He said, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are what? Evil. Now that's in the first century. All right, Jesus and Paul are both pointing out how evil the world is and how desperately the world needs the message of Jesus. And you and I have it. Now, let me just take another route here just for a second. Because that's not the only place we try to run out the clock. How about your marriage? Instead of giving your best to your marriage, you're just trying to run out the clock. Instead of trying to be the best husband, the best wife, the best mother, the best father, the best son, daughter to an older parent, a lot of times people are just trying to run out the clock, thinking, I just want to get this over with. Guys, that's not how Christians live. Jesus told the disciples, you guys, get your eyes off the clock. And then he said, do the job. What is the job? Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Now, we have a hard time with that. People are like, well, I don't want to go to Africa. Well, that's great because that's not even what it means. What it means is you're to give your life for Christ. You will be martyrs for my cause. Now, that changes everything, doesn't it? Well, is it safe to go to Belarus? Is it safe to go to Cairo? Is it safe to go to Atlanta? We'll get to that later. No. Is it safe to live here? No. Whoever said we're supposed to be safe? But that's always people's first response. Am I going to be safe if I do this? I don't know. Was it safe for Jesus to go to the cross? Was it safe for Paul to travel around and be stoned and to be uh, threatened with death and put in prison and ultimately beheaded? I'm going to go with no. It probably wasn't real safe. But he said, go do the job. You know, Hitler, and I, I could have memorized this, but I, I, I wanted to be more dramatic. So I'm going to read it to you. They told Hitler, they said, there's one group of people that you're going to have problem with. He said, they said, if you're going to keep this Third Reich going, you've got to deal with the Protestant pastors. Now, primarily in Germany, 1930s and 40s, you're talking about Lutherans, okay? That's just who was there. This is what Hitler said, and I quote, You can do anything you want with those Protestant pastors. They will submit. They are insignificant little people, submissive as dogs, and they sweat with embarrassment when you talk to them. He proved to be extremely prophetic. But let me tell you why. Because by that time, in the the late 30s in Germany, the Lutheran church had already gone off the rails biblically. They were not standing for the authority of the word of God. They were not standing for the cross. They were not they were not standing for much of anything. They just had a ritual going on. And one of the stories that is true is that it got so bad that there was a church service going on on Sunday morning. And the train tracks ran behind the church on the way to Auschwitz. They could hear the Jewish people screaming and crying. And the Lutheran pastor got up and told the church just to sing louder. That's what happens when we lose sight of, we're here to do a job. Psalm 90, I think these are Moses' words, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So why am I here? is as a christian well i mean if you're in this room or you're watching online there's one of two things either you need to accept jesus christ as your savior you need to repent you need to be baptized you need to commit to following him you can hit a button online i've decided you can go see david and ben you can come up here to the decision sign uh after the service there's, there's a lot of ways we can get this done go out to guest services Or, if you're already a Christian, then we have our marching orders. And as soon as we get these marching orders, what is our response? Hey, what time is it? Is it now time? Lord, is it time to get out of here? You know what? When it's time, we'll know it. When it's my time to go, there'll be no discussing it. I will lay down wherever I'm at, and that'll be the end of it. Or... Jesus will come back and we'll all go together. But until that time, quit watching the clock. And do the job. And then we get to the last part. And we get to the, to the bottom part of that passage there in the first chapter. And I hope you're following along. But he says, I dare you to go and change the world. Now, what's crazy about this story... Is from the beginning, when Jesus talked to disciples, he said, Go into all the world, make disciples, teach them, baptize them, teach them some more, so they'll go make more disciples and they'll teach and baptize and teach, and that's it. And then we get here and he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. Got it, got it. And you know what they do? Anybody? They all stay in Jerusalem. All of them. All of them. Not until Acts 7, which we'll get to in a few months, but in Acts 7, after Stephen is persecuted and killed, it said the church scattered. Well, then the church is headed out to Europe and to Asia and to Africa and the known world at that time, which is absolutely awesome. Except guess who doesn't go? The twelve. The last people to actually leave Jerusalem should have been the 12 that went out first. The ones who had been best trained. Jesus said, I want you guys to change the world. Peter said, I got a nice condo here in Jerusalem. It's real easy to get stuck and forget that we have a purpose. Now let's go back. Because there's a lot of ways to change the world. It might be helping a widow next door. It might be raising a child that's going to change the church in the future. It might mean uh, being a better husband or wife so that your family is stronger and there'll be a witness for other people. There's a whole lot of ways to do it. But when Jesus talks to the disciples, he says, I dare you to go change the world. And I love it as you get a little bit further in Acts. It says, the men who have turned the world upside down, have now come to our city. That's what the church is supposed to do. I was reading the book of Esther, um, I don't know, a couple days ago. And I came across a verse I'd never paid attention to. It said, now you have to understand, the, the, the Jewish people are captive in Persia, okay? Modern Iran. And the Persians have got tons of gods, and they're not interested in Jews, Sorry, The Jews are just a a problem for them. And it says that they saw such a difference in how the Jewish people lived, in their ethics, in their morality, how they were were different from all the rest of the Persians, and how their gods seemed to interact with them. It says that a huge number of Persians became Jews. Now, here's what's amazing about that. Judaism is not evangelistic. They don't go out and try to convert people. They just don't do that. But it happened anyway because the people live different lives. And then the key verse in that whole book, of course, is Esther 4.14, when a beautiful girl is sent to enter a beauty pageant, and she ends up becoming the queen of Persia. And... Her uncle comes when they're about to kill all the Jewish people, and he says, you've got to go talk to the king, and you've got to stop this. And Esther says what we all say. You know what? Let's let the clock run out. Maybe somebody else will do it. And Uncle Mordecai says, Esther, here's the deal, sweetie. God will show up somehow, and he'll get his work done. But if you don't do it, you and your whole family will be cut off. But Who knows? That you haven't come to the kingdom of God for just this moment. And she goes to the king, and before it's all over, a lot of Persians die, and none of the Jewish people die. It's a tremendous story. You should read it. But there was a job to be done, and a daring, the, you know what? Just maybe we can be a part of changing the world. See, when the church is content to watch the clock run out, it's being really selfish. When we don't do the work we're called to do, we're no longer the church. We're just a social club. But God said, I want you guys to go change the world. Start in your house and then go. I'll finish with this, just in case I haven't made everybody mad. Um, stories get me, and uh, I can't help it. The, the social media is all a flutter. Um, I don't know if you heard this. Betty White died. All right. And here's one of the memes that's uh, that's online. Um, yeah. So I, I, you know, I always do my homework because I thought, well, maybe there's something about Betty I don't know. Apparently, there's a senior discount when you get to heaven. You just say I was 99 and you get passed on in. Uh, she liked dogs. She was nice to dogs. Okay. See, we have this false illusion that. People go to heaven for whatever reason, because they're their works, because they were old. I got news for you. God gave her a long time to find Jesus. I don't think she did. And somebody said, what are you going to do if you get to heaven and Betty's there? And well, you can't hit me in heaven, so, you know, I'm okay. But I don't want you to fall for this lie. It's amazing. People don't believe in God. They don't believe in the Bible. They don't believe in heaven. They certainly don't believe in Jesus. But when you die in Hollywood, you go straight to heaven. Crazy. There was another guy, Bob Sackett, playing the same game with Bob. I, I don't encourage you. If you go online, all of his comedy shows come with a warning. This is so horrible and so perverted that unless you're really ready, do not hit play. I didn't hit play. I got enough garbage in my head without looking for that. So they stood before God and had to give an account of their life. And let me tell you something. It won't matter what the social media says about you. And it won't matter what Hollywood says about you. It won't matter what they they put on the TV about you. It will only matter what jesus says about you that's entrance into heaven and jesus said i am the door nobody gets in except through my door so i don't know where you're at the opportunity is there today for you either to accept jesus or to quit looking at the clock and dare to change the world father i pray that we would grab a hold of truth today, that your truth would grab a hold of us, that we would be reignited to be better husbands, better fathers, better mothers, better wives, more committed to your word, more committed to your purposes with our life, with our money, with our time. But God, forgive us for the times when we've just stared at the clock and hoped that it'll run out. Help us to be people who are found doing the work that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name.